listen to this. The healing that Jesus did, that was a precursor of what he's going to do when he returns. This healing of the paralyzed man signifies what he's going to do for every Christian that believes in him. Welcome to A Word from God with your host and teacher, James Lindley. The title of this episode is Something New for the Old and was recorded live at Grand Community Church in Springfield, Missouri. Hi, this is Misha Pelkey, and before we get started, I want to remind you that James loves hearing from his listeners. Drop him a line via email at james at a wordfromgod.net. That email again is james at a wordfromgod.net. Or write to James Lindley Ministries, P.O. Box 8082, Springfield, Missouri, 65801. That address again is James Lindley Ministries, P.O. Box 8082, Springfield, Missouri, 65801. Now here's your host and teacher, James Lindley. We are in the book of Matthew, chapter 9, verses 1 through 17. Today's sermon is something new for the old. Okay, so in these verses, Jesus is healing the sick, calling sinners to discipleship, and offering grace to fulfill the law of religion. Amen. Okay, grace to fulfill the law of religion. So let's take a look at our first point, which is Jesus heals a paralytic Matthew 9, verses 1 through 8. I'm reading out of the ESV today. And getting into a boat, he crossed over and came to his own city. And behold, some people brought to him a paralytic lying on a bed. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Take heart, my son, your sins are forgiven. And behold, some of the scribes said to themselves, This man is blaspheming. But Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, Why do you think evil in your hearts? For which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise and walk, but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He then said to the paralytic, rise, pick up your bed and go home. And he rose and went home. When the crowd saw it, they were afraid and they glorified God who had given such authority to men. Praise God. So here we have a man who's in a hopeless situation. He's paralyzed, can't move. People bring him to Jesus. You know, sometimes you can't get to Jesus by yourself. Sometimes somebody's got to bring you there. That's why we talk about bringing people to church, because some people can't make it to church on themselves, by themselves. Amen? That's why sometimes we have to pick them up where they're at and bring them. They need help getting here. Amen? This man needed help, and people brought. You know why they brought him? Because they had faith. You see, it takes faith to bring people to Jesus. It takes faith of your own to get people to church. If you really believe in Jesus, you'll be getting people to him. Amen? That's what these people did. Now, his own city mentioned in this verse was what? Capernaum. This was Jesus' base of operations. It was a fish trading area and a melting pot of cultures. Now, this was a great base of operations, okay? No, he wasn't born there, but this was his base of operation. This is where he centralized all of his ministry at, okay? 
And, you know, it had a garrison of Roman soldiers there. It was a bustling trade center, had a lot of Greek influences. It was the perfect place to be at because he could reach a multitude of cultures in that area. And it was a trading place where people would be coming in and going out so he could meet a lot of interesting people that weren't necessarily from that area. Very smart thinking, right? Now, notice that Jesus forgives the paralyzed man of sin before he heals him physically. You catch that? The man's coming in. He's all crippled up. He can't move. He's in dire straits. And you think being paralyzed is bad now, and it is. It would be horrible. But back in those days, man, life was a lot harder. They didn't have the medical treatments they got today. So this man comes in, and Jesus forgives him of his sins. First, the the physical healing isn't even brought up until later. The physical healing was more for the benefit of the witnesses than it was for the man. You see, Jesus knew that the man needed to be healed spiritually. Because, see, Jesus could come in and physically heal you all day long. Jesus can come in and bless you materialistically all day long. But that's not going to help anyone if they're not saved. If they're spiritually wrong, they're not going to have the joy of the Lord in them. You're not truly alive, enjoying anything, until you have been spiritually healed. This is the true purpose of why Jesus came, was to heal us spiritually. He addressed the man's sin before he even thought about addressing the physical aspects. And it wasn't until he perceived the thoughts of the critics around him that he healed the man physically. Now think about this for a minute. It's easy to come up and say, Brent, your sins are forgiven. How do you know what I've done? I have no proof that I've forgiven anything, right? But if I say be healed and he has a physical, visual affliction that everybody can witness and suddenly, wham, he's healed, That shows that I've got authority from God because only God can heal. That's what Jesus did. Jesus only physically healed the man once he perceived what the others were thinking. The scribes accused Christ in their hearts. Blasphemy is what they accused him of. Blasphemy is claiming to be God and applying his characteristics to yourself. You see, Jesus was crucified because he was claiming to be God. That's what they got him for. The Romans, they didn't want to crucify. You know, the Romans actually did the, crucifi- uh, the crucifying, but they didn't want to. They didn't have a cause to. Pilate said, I find no fault in the man. But the Jews said, we have a law. And he should die for this breaking of this law. He committed blasphemy. Him being a man makes himself out to be God. They didn't like that. Only God can forgive sins. And so in their hearts, they were saying, who is this guy claiming to be God by saying your sins are forgiven? He can't forgive sins. He's not God. So Jesus healed the man to show them I am too, God. You tried this trick. Let's see your act. Ain't happening. Only God can do what he did. The physical healing was to show the onlookers that he was God in the flesh. You see, the miracles that we read about in the Bible... They were more to prove who Jesus was. In one scripture, he says, 
if you don't believe what I say or who I am, at least believe in the works that I do, okay? What Jesus was trying to tell us is that these acts of miracles, which was witnessed by tens of thousands of people in his day, okay, the Bible's not the only account of Jesus' miracles, okay, they prove that he is God. And that's what that was all about. We must not focus our attention on God's work pertaining to temporal matters. We shall receive perfect everlasting health when Christ returns. Now understand that no matter what God does for you in this life, things are going to happen that are going to take that away. Now let's just say that God blesses you today and those blessings last all the way up until the day you die. But guess what? There's a day when you're going to die. And all of those blessings that were here on earth are going to be taken away. So your spiritual blessing is the only blessing that's eternal. Does that make sense to anybody? This is what you should be investing in. You shouldn't be investing in these things that are in this world because these things will be taken away from you one day. Now, as a pastor, I've done more than one funeral. And I'm going to tell you what, it's the worst part of my job, okay? Because you see an individual in a casket that has nothing that they can take with them from this world. Nothing. Nothing at all. Even the clothes on their back mean nothing because they're not truly there. They're gone, okay? So the only thing that I center on is I just hope that that person, and only God can judge, was a saved individual. That's the only thing I can hope for at a funeral because everything else... It means nothing, okay? Anything that you have today will sooner or later belong to somebody else. Amen? So we can't be focusing on the attention that God is doing pertaining to materialistic things. Now, I was talking with some people this morning about this very matter. Some people come to church because they're hurting. Some people come to church because a crisis has brought them in. And that's good that they're here, okay? But... We got to remember that the true purpose of coming to church is to seek after Jesus, okay? That we want to seek after the Lord. And look, the, the problem with some people coming to church to be blessed all the time is that when the going gets tough and the going will get tough, if you're truly serving Jesus Christ, things will happen, okay, that are out of your control, okay? Even if you're not serving Jesus Christ, things are going to happen, okay? You're either going to cause them or somebody else in your life is going to cause them or we're all going to work together to cause them. You know what I'm saying? Because as people, we're fallible. It's not an excuse, but it is a fact, okay? So if that's the motivation to be with Jesus, okay, if it's something materialistic, if it's something temporal, you're going to be disappointed, okay? You have to put your hope in the day that when Jesus returns, everything's going to be made right. And you've got to be patient enough to wait for that. I know it's not here today. I know it's not going to be here tomorrow. I don't know. But, you know, we don't perceive it to be. But one day it will be here. It could happen right, right while we're preaching today. I mean, it could happen. The time is right. But what I'm saying is that whenever it does happen, all of your worries will be taken away from you. Okay? But until that day, you have to remain strong in the spirit of God looking forward to the future and not whining or worrying or fussing or complaining about your present, okay? And I really mean that. I mean, we got to tough it out as Christians. We have to tough it out. We have to be a little bit stronger for Jesus' sake so that we can bring other people to the kingdom, amen? The physical healing was also a demonstration of God's love for people and a promise of what is to come. 
Don't just tell people you love them, show them. Now listen to this. The healing that Jesus did, that was a precursor of what he's going to do when he returns. If you think he was busy the first time he came along, that was temporal healing. All the people he raised from the dead, they're still dead now, right? They died again. You almost have to feel sorry for the people he raised from the dead because they died again. They had to die twice. How many of you people in here want to die once? Some of the people that Jesus, well, all of the people that Jesus raised from the dead, they did what? They died again, right? Okay. But when Jesus comes back, this healing of the paralyzed man signifies what he's going to do for every Christian that believes in him. You're going to get a physical healing that's going to be beyond belief. You're going to have a perfect body. I know some of you already have a perfect body. Don't look at me. (laughs) But when he comes back, we're going to be made like him. So that was a promise. But the other part was he was demonstrating love. See, Jesus had a ministry, and he was flesh and blood. He still is. You know, Jesus has a resurrected body. He's not some spirit or ghost floating around up in heaven. He was made alive again. But when he was walking here on earth, doing his earthly ministry in the flesh of Jesus Christ, the first time, he was demonstrating the love of God through his life. This is what we're we're to do. Whatever God has gifted you to do, okay, Now, Jesus had all the gifts, right? Some of us don't have the gifts. Now, I've actually seen people pray for folks, and they be healed. I've seen some miraculous healings, okay? I've seen it. I don't know if I've got that gift or not. I prayed for one person, and they were healed from cancer, okay? One time. That was it. That was a moment. That made me nothing special. But I do know that God does miracle healings, okay? So, with that being said, understand that this is a promise of what's to come and that whatever God has gifted you to do, do it for people. Do it for people. Don't judge whether or not they deserve it, how much you like them or love them or care for them. Just do whatever God is telling you to do and don't argue the fact if it's whether it's the right thing. If it's good, do it. Amen? If it's good, do it. Okay, number two, Jesus calls Matthew. I like this part. I like this part. Matthew 9, verses 9 through 13 says, As Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, Follow me. And he rose and followed him. And, uh, and as Jesus reclined at table in the house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. Jesus was hanging out in the hood. That's layman terms. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But when he heard it, he said, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice, for I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Jesus was quoting uh, Hosea uh, six six. Okay, God wants the knowledge of God in our hearts. Okay, God wants mercy from us rather than another sacrifice. N- rather than I'm going to make it up to you, God, by doing something for you or giving. No, He wants mercy. He wants love for one another. He wants knowledge of God. Matthew was a tax collector. They were despised by the Jews, and yet Jesus called him into ministry. Woo! 
Now, let me tell you something about tax collectors. You all know about the IRS, right? Raise your hand if you like them. I didn't think so. If you think the IRS is bad, wait till you hear this. The Romans took over the Jewish territory. The Romans were Italian, and they came in and conquered these people. And what they would do is they would come up and they would enlist one of your own people. Isn't that nice? It'd be like IRS hiring one of your family members to come collect taxes from you. Okay, so the Romans would take poor little Brent over here, for say, right? I, mean, I know I'm calling you a tax collector, ain't I awful? But he would come up and he would just say, you want a job? And if he said, yeah, he could go collect taxes, okay? And what it was, it was Jews collecting taxes from Jews. The problem was, is that Jewish tax collectors weren't paid on a salary. The Romans wouldn't pay you nothing. You just had to collect the taxes. You know how you made your money? Overcharging people. So if she owed taxes and it was only $10, I would say you owe $15 to the Roman government. I need my five bucks, you know. And she can't argue with me because these guys would tell the Romans you're not paying your taxes. And the Romans would come and collect from you. So you paid whatever they said. Bottom line, they were cheaters. They had to be because they weren't getting paid. You see what I mean? And they took advantage of the fact that you had to pay your taxes and they could make up any amount that they wanted to. There you go. The Romans didn't care. They just wanted their money. You see? So here you have a Jew collecting from Jews and they didn't like that very much. So you were despised. Notice how they put him in the realm of sinners. It's terrible. Matthew had a lucrative job but walked away from it with no hesitation to follow Jesus. Now, he had some cash in his pocket, and tax collectors had money. But when Jesus said the word, he dropped all of that, and he followed them. Imagine that, giving up your livelihood to follow Jesus. You see, you can't be a cheater and follow Jesus. It doesn't work out. Whatever it is that you're involved in that doesn't line up with the word of God, you've got to drop it. You've got to leave it behind. Whoever it is that you're lined up with, that doesn't line up with it. See, some of us have friends in here. Some of us have people in our lives that don't line up with the word of God. They're holding us back. We wonder why we're not growing in Christ. We wonder why we're not moving forward. We wonder why we're not spiritually maturing. It's because we have people and things in our life that's holding us back. Matthew knew that his job, as lucrative as it was, as wealthy as it made him, was holding him back. When he saw Jesus, he wanted Jesus more than anything else. He wanted Jesus more than anyone else. And he gave that stuff up, and he followed Jesus. So I have a lot of respect for this man. But I'm so happy that God picked a man who was deep in sin, who had every reason to stay in sin, because, listen, let's not kid ourselves. Money is a motivator to do stuff that we shouldn't do. Come on now. We know it's truth. We know it's truth. Money is a motivator to get us to do things that we know we shouldn't be doing. Amen? Matthew shouldn't have been doing that, and he knew it, and he didn't let money become his God. Money's not evil. It's what we do with our money and how we earn our money that's evil, okay? Now, following Christ is not always easy. In fact, it takes much self-sacrifice. It's often painful to serve our holy God in a sin-filled world. Matthew is an example of that, the tax collector. He is an example of how painful it can be to sacrifice his livelihood to go with a poor carpenter to serve 
And, you know, this was a walking dead man because they were going to kill him. It was very dangerous back in those days to be saying what Jesus was saying. They'd kill you for that stuff. Blasphemy was a, uh, such a great offense that it was punishable by death. As we all know, Jesus ended up on the cross. Yet he had enough faith, enough desire, enough love, enough respect for Christ to drop everything and everyone and walk over there and follow him. Jesus' critics pointed out that he was among sinners, and rightfully so. We are all sinners, some saved and some lost. Okay, just because you're a Christian doesn't mean that you are perfect. We're made perfect in the eyes of God. Praise the Lord that when he looks down at us, we are covered with the blood of Jesus Christ. Amen? Okay. But think about this for a minute. Here you have people judging Jesus because he's hanging out with sinners and tax collectors, synonymous with one another in that day, right? They're looking at him and they're kicking back and they're at the table and they're having fun and they're talking and they're enjoying one another's company. And then the scribes, that's the, the, the law keepers, okay, the perfect people, the righteous people, okay? I say that with quotes. Christ points out to them that it is the sick with sin who need him, not those who claim to be healthy. When he was talking about the righteous, he was saying that figuratively speaking. He was, he was almost like just taunting the Pharisees, the righteous, you know. Who do you guys think you are? That's what he was saying. You guys aren't any more righteous. I mean, if you guys claim that you are, are healthy, you won't seek the help that you really need. Right? You have to admit to God that you're broken, that you've got sin inside of you before you can come and get help from him. You won't take the medicine if you don't believe you're sick, will you? How many of you guys ever, and don't raise your hand, but have you guys gone to the doctor and he prescribed something you didn't agree with? And you just didn't take the medicine. Now, you all don't have to raise your hand, but I know I've done that before. Doctors prescribed me something. I thought about it, and I played doctor with myself, and I said, I don't need that. Or he gives you antibiotics, and he says, take three uh, a day, and you take one. (laughs) If you miss a dose, go back and take double the dose, and you're like, I take one. (laughs) Keep taking it for seven to ten days. You take it for three days, you feel better. You don't take it no more. Come on, you know what I'm talking about? Look, church is a hospital clinic for those in need of Jesus. Everybody needs Jesus. Now, what kind of a patient do you want to be? Do you want to be the patient like the Pharisee who says, I don't need no doctor treatment. I don't even like the doctor. I'm not the doctor here, by the way, okay? Jesus is the doctor, I'm more like the nurse practitioner or the nurse's aide. I come out and tell you what the doctor said. Ever notice how the doctor comes into the clinic and he sees you for like two seconds and then some stranger walks in and says, here's what the doctor said. And you're like, where'd the doctor go? I don't know. (laughs) The doctor's gone, right? (laughs) Well, I'm like the nurse's aide, okay? I'm giving you the prescription that was written out in the Bible. Praise Lord. Okay, now you're going to have to trust the doctor before you trust me because I'm getting my orders from the doctor. And that's what Jesus is talking about. We come to church, we come to him to be doctored up because we are sick with sin. Those who claim to be without sin can't be saved because the first step is to acknowledge their need. Did you hear what I said? Those who claim not to have any sin, they can't be saved. They'll never confess. You have to acknowledge that you're sick before you'll accept the treatment. If you aren't going to say that you're sick about something, you're never going to get well with something. 
Now, we're talking about the unsaved, but listen, Christians can fall into this same trap. Christians can be saved, but they can be trapped in a sin. Did you know that Christians themselves can get trapped in a sin? It's true. Don't think for a moment because you're saved that you don't need a doctor still. You could get stuck in something and you could sit there and tell yourself, I'm not sick, I'm not sick, I'm saved. I'm made perfect in Christ. You ain't acting perfect. You don't look perfect. You don't look like you're saved. Why aren't you acting like you're healthy? Healthy people can run marathons. You ain't running nothing for God. Praise God. Am I right? Healthy people in Christ are doing ministry effectively. They're growing disciples. They're training people up in righteousness. They're speaking for God on his behalf. And they're having fruits grow in their own life. Fruits are springing up in their own spiritual walk with God. But you can get into a point where you're lost in a sin. You've even cooled off. You know, just cooling off with Jesus. Just cooling off with Jesus can make you drift away from him. And you stop growing in Christ. Okay, because you think I got it now. Been in the church a couple of times. I read my Bible and I'm saved and nobody can teach me anything. I thank God every day that the pastor who mentored me is still in my life because I call him as often as I can. I go out and I eat with him and we talk and we fellowship because you know what? He was placed in my life to teach me. He's got experience, he's got knowledge, he's got wisdom from God, and even when he doesn't know something, the Lord will speak to him and teach me things he doesn't know. He has told me so many times, James, I didn't even know the answer to that until you asked it, and the Lord gave it to me. That's how powerful God is with people in your life who were put there to teach you. But those who claim to be without sin can't be saved, and those who claim to be without sin, even as Christians, can't be taught, cannot grow, cannot learn, cannot expand. Amen? Okay, number three. A question about fasting. Matthew 9, verses 14 through 17. And we are almost done. Then the disciples of John came to him saying, Why do we and the Pharisee fast? But your disciples do not fast. And Jesus said to them, Can the wedding guests mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast. No one puts a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, for the patch tears away from the garment, and a worse tear is made. Neither is new wine put into old wineskins. If it is, the skins burst, and the wine is spilled, and the skins are destroyed. But new wine is put into fresh wineskins, and so both are preserved. Now, I know you guys are thinking, huh? What? What's this about wineskins? We're going to get to that. These disciples were there on the, uh, John the Baptist's behalf. John was focused on law. God wants us to focus on grace through him. You see, fasting was something that, fasting, John, John and his disciples fasted as a sign of mourning for sin and to prepare for the coming of the Messiah. Okay? Jesus' disciples had the Christ with them and there was no need to mourn at that time. You understand that the disciples of Jesus recognized that the Messiah was there. Now, John knew this, too, because he proclaimed the coming of Jesus. But he was still focused on law. John, I said, knew that Jesus was the Messiah because he announced him. But he was focused on law. Christians, we have to get out of this law thing. We have to get out of this law thing. Do you understand what I'm saying? We got to stop coming to God and telling him I'm going to make it up to you. 
What do you have that God wants or needs from you? The only thing that we have is who we accept, Jesus Christ. But John the Baptist was focused on law, ritual. I got to do it the way I've been taught to do it. Now, you know that when you hurt somebody's feelings, you want to make it up to them, don't you? Sometimes. (laughs) I see some of you going, no. (laughs) But seriously, when you really love somebody and you hurt them, you want to do something to make it up to them. That's good. I'm, I'm glad, you know, because people on the human nature tend to need that, okay, to feel loved. But not God. Okay, you can't make nothing up to God but accept Jesus Christ. It's a free gift. He wants to do it for you. He has done it for you. The arrival of Christ was like a wedding feast, and Jesus was like a bridegroom. Understand that we the church, and that's not this building, but we the people, okay, we are Christians, and we are God's bride, Jesus' bride. I know, isn't that a good thought? That's awesome, isn't it? Because we are in a marriage with God through Jesus Christ, not talking about an earthly marriage. We're talking about a spiritual marriage. We are in a marriage. We have a vow that we have taken, a covenant agreement called the New Testament of grace, that we accept Jesus Christ as the forgiveness of our sins, and in return, God accepts us as his children. Woo! Is that powerful or what? Wineskins. We're going to get to this, okay? This is important. Wineskins were made of goat skin then. New wine would ferment and expand. The skins would stretch to their fullest. If new wine was added to them, they would stretch beyond their capacity. Jesus was using this to say he was here not to patch up old religion, but to bring something new. See, the old covenant was the Old Testament. Testament testament means deal, uh, contract, covenant, okay, contract. Okay, so the Old Testament was law, law, law. You had to do rituals. You had to do religion to get God's forgiveness. You had to take a lamb or a goat and slaughter and spill its blood and kill it. Okay, because God demanded what? He demanded a life, an innocent life for your sin. Because if you sin, the punishment is death. Okay, that's why people grow old and die now. That's why people get sick and die. That's why people have accidents and die. There was no death before sin entered. The penalty of sin is death. So God is a righteous God. He follows out his, his, his uh, uh, decrees, right? So someone or something's got to die if you commit a sin. So in the Old Testament, it was slaughtering an animal. Something had to die. Someone had to die for what you did. Okay, okay. Jesus died for what we did. The payment is made. The judge is satisfied. Amen? But if you take grace and you mix it in with the old law, it's like those wineskins. The new wine would get into that old wine and expand it even further, and the bag was already full as it could get. The Old Testament went as far as it could go. It was time for something new. And Jesus was saying, this is something new. I'm it. I'm grace. There's no room for Old Testament law and New Testament law in the same place. It's going to bust if you try to put it there. Man, as Christians, we got to be careful that we don't get law mixed up with the grace of God or our wineskin is going to pop. Amen? And then your spiritual walk is going to spill all over the place. And I'll tell you what, I don't drink wine, but I've seen wine spilled, and it makes a mess. And it leaves an ugly stain. 
and it leaves a mark. And as a Christian, if you get law mixed up with wine, or excuse me, wine with grace, your wine skin is going to break and it's going to leave a oh, it's going to leave a mark on your life and the life of other people, and it's going to be hard to scrub that away. I'm telling you, you cannot get law mixed up with 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 grace. Praise God. That's what Jesus was trying to say. In conclusion, I want to say, are you ready for something new with Jesus? Look at your neighbor standing or sitting next to you. Look at your neighbor and ask them, are you ready for something new with Jesus? This is Misha again to remind you that James loves hearing from his listeners. You can contact him via email at james at a wordfromgod.net. Again, that's james at a wordfromgod.net. Or write to James Lindley Ministries, P.O. Box 8082, Springfield, Missouri 65801. And be sure to visit us online at www.awordfromgod.net. I'm Misha Pelkey for A Word From God. And I'm James Lindley. And I want to thank you for listening. And I pray that God will bless you immensely from this message.